Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now let me go back for just a moment and review what Joel has said thus far. <clears throat> In chapter 1, he dealt with that great locust horde or invasion invaded the land and called the people to repent and to meet together and call upon God for help because these, these locusts had taken everything before them they destroyed the, the trees fruit trees they destroyed the crops the animals were panting for water and for food looking for food so the people cried unto the Lord well, apparently they did repent because God then removed the locusts. The idea was, unless you do, unless this brings you to repentance, I'll send a greater judgment upon you. At any rate, when they repented, then God blessed them with the material blessings, and that was followed by the promise of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's in the second chapter, verse 28 to 32. Well, we know that that was fulfilled in Acts 2 because Peter said in Acts 2, this is that which is prophesied by the prophet Joel saying, it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I pour out my spirit from all flesh. The sons and your daughters shall prophesy. The young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And upon my servants and upon my handmaidens in those days will I pour forth my spirit. So we know when it says, Peter quoted this that that was fulfilled at that time and that's important that we understand that for our lesson today now when we come to the third chapter God here promises a universal judgment upon the nations now this is not dealing with what we call the final judgment or the final coming of Christ but it's to take place in the days spoken of in the second chapter Follow me carefully now in this first verse or two. Now note in the first two verses of the third chapter, For behold, in those days and in that time, when I shall bring back the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and will bring them uh, down into the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will execute judgment upon them, are there for my people and for my heritage, uh, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations, and they have parted my land, and I have cast lots for my and they have cast lots for my people, and have given a boy for a harlot, and sold a girl for wine, that they may drink. Right? <clears throat> now this identifies now notice in those days. Come to pass as shall behold in those days verse 1 and at that time God will do this right so it's going to be in the days of what you of what you have in verses 28 to 32 that is, it will be then in the time of the Holy Spirit's operation and that will be in the present age or dispensation present uh, dispensation here so what he's promising then is that God is going to judge these nations 
that scatter and have scattered his people. Now they scattered the Jews of old. Now that when the Christians, when uh, the work of the Spirit began on Pentecost, Acts 2, then we come to the 8th chapter where the death of Stephen that arose on that day of great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. The devout men buried Stephen, made great lamentation over him. And uh, the people then that were scattered went about everywhere preaching the word. Verse 4 of that. So here was a scattering. Well that continued. Wherever Paul would go, they would drive him out. When the church would be established, we'll point out today in our next sermon, our next lesson in the, in the book of Philippians, that the people of Philippi were suffering the same thing that they saw Paul suffer when he was there. Therefore, they were being persecuted. So what this is, is not you can't pinpoint any one of these particular judgments of this third chapter is simply in those days and at that time so it would be in the days of the work of the Holy Spirit so it simply means then that there would be judgments against the nations that would reject God and reject his people throughout the whole entire period so I think that, that those judgments may continue now but let me notice another point in this if I may for behold in those days and in that time uh, I shall bring back uh, when I shall bring back the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem I will gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat which means Jehovah judges now you'll notice here then when God will bring back uh, his people here notice that, that passage when I shall bring back the captivity of his people now turn to Isaiah the 11th chapter and Notice what Isaiah says in this 11th chapter about when that time is going to be here. In the 11th chapter and uh, about verse 11. Right, and now then look at verses 10 and 11. And shall come to pass in that day. Now in that day always refers, as I've said before, to the period of time in the context. So in the context you have beginning back here with verse 1. And there shall come forth a shoot out of the stock of Jesse, and a branch out of his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of Jehovah shall rest upon him. Of course, this is the Christ, uh, and wisdom and understanding and so on there. And drop down <coughs> to about verse 6. And the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and so on. Now here are these wild animals and domesticated animals will grow together at the time that the root of a, of a shoot of Jesse shall reign. Now look at verse 10. And it shall come to pass uh, in that day. In, in the day now of the thing from verse 1 through 9. That will be during the time of the root of Jesse and also the time when the animals shall grow together. So it, 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 that's not something to look forward to in the future. Now look at verse 10. Shall come to pass in that day that the root of Jesse that standeth for an ensign of the peoples, unto him shall the nations or Gentiles seek, and his resting place shall be glorious. Now, in the 15th chapter of the book of Romans, verse 12, here the apostle quotes this passage, and again Isaiah saith, 
that shall be the root of Jesse and he that ariseth to rule over the Gentiles that's the nations on him shall the Gentiles hope now that's a quotation from the uh, the passage yet not the uh, not the uh, uh, Hebrew uh, version but the Greek uh, the Septuagint version now remember that the uh, Hebrew Bible was translated into Greek somewhere between 250 B.C. and maybe uh, 150 B.C. Nobody knows the exact date. But at any rate, at Alexandria, it was translated into the Septuagint. Now the Septuagint, the Greek version, was the version used by the Jews in the times of Christ and the apostles. And so that's why you have a difference. Now I used to wonder why. I'd read the Old, the Old Testament, turn to the New Testament where it quoted, wouldn't be the same. Well, our Bible is translated from the Hebrew text, what's called the Masoretic text, whereas the ones they were using was the Septuagint, the Greek version. But when you translate from one into another language and from that language into this language, there's always going to be a difference there. And so that's what you have here. But at any rate, this is a quotation. Now, my point is this. Isaiah says, in that day, back here in, in Isaiah, now then, and I, so what he's saying in Romans, uh, in Isaiah 11 and 11, is quoted in Romans as now being fulfilled. The Gentiles hope on him in fulfillment of this passage, him who came in fulfillment of the passage. Now, another point I want to notice in that 11th chapter, I've already turned from it, but in the 11th chapter and, and verse 11, now God says, And in that day I will set my hand a second time to recover the remnant. Right? Now notice that passage, for that's important. Here he says, And uh, it shall come to pass in that day, and that's the day that the ensign here stands for the, the rallying point of all mankind, which is the same time of verses 1 through 9 in Isaiah. Right? Now he said, It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will set his hand again the second time to recover his, the remnant of his people that shall remain from Assyria and from Egypt and from Pethros and from Cush and from Elam and on and on there. Now that's the second time. Now when was the first time that God set his hand to restore a remnant? First time was when he brought them back. When he brought them back under under Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest uh, according to the book of Ezra and Nehemiah that's the first time now he said I'm going to set my hand a second time to recover this remnant right now over in Romans the 11th chapter and verse 5 he says and even now there is a remnant according to the election of grace so here was the, the remnant that God would set his hand a second time to recover would be the spiritual remnant under the Messiah. So Isaiah 11 is talking about the same thing that Joel is talking about when God is going to recover the cap bring back his people from captivity. Not the Babylonian captivity, but the captivity in the time of the Holy Spirit. You see, you've got to keep in mind verses 28 to 32, here's the Holy Spirit at that time and in those days the days that he's just talking about in Acts 2, then God's going to bring back the captivity of his people, which is identical or the same thing that Isaiah is talking about. In Isaiah 11, Paul says, is now fulfilled 
uh, unto Jesus Christ in Romans 15 and 12 and also in Romans 11 and 5 even now there's a remnant according to the election of grace so I'm saying all of that to establish when this judgment is to take place it's to take place not when they came back from Babylon necessarily but it's going to take place later on during the days of the of, of the uh, of the root of Jesse according to Isaiah 11 and the Holy Spirit according to Joel 2 you see so now then the coming of Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit would be the time that God would recover his remnant and judge these nations who had opposed them and had scattered his people right? I think that's uh, clear enough now we'll move on from that so now he moves on into the next uh, verse here alright when I shall bring back the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem I will gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and I will execute judgment upon them there for my people and for my heritage Israel whom they have scattered among the nations and they have parted my land what? so so in those days they're going to be they're going to gather all nations that doesn't mean that they're going to gather them all at one time that simply means that he's going to judge the nations that scatter his people or that oppose him. Now, in, in the light of that, that statement, we can look for and expect a judgment upon this nation which has rejected God and rejected the Christ and now then is trying to outlaw any concept of God in the schools or anywhere else why it's outlawed. For God is... I mean, the na- this nation is opposing. I know we still have it, the right to worship. I know that. But everything that's done in the televisions and in the newspaper and everything else is against the idea of God and the rule of Jesus Christ in the realm of mankind. And yet he's the ruler of the, of the kings of the earth. Revelation 1 and 4 and 5. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Revelation 12 and verse 5. And at that time, that is when, God, when he's come and God's lifted him up and exalted him to his right hand, then he will rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Alright, so it's, it's, it's simply teaching the rule of God through the Christ in the Messianic period. Jesus Christ is now on the throne and ruling. Now moving on now. Uh, and have cast lots for my people, have, sold, have given a boy for a harlot, and sold a girl for a drink of wine that they may drink. Right? That, in other words, is just simply an opposition to God and God's uh, God's eternal purpose and His scheme of redemption, His redemption of mankind. Or oh, you see it on every hand uh, today. So we can expect a judgment from God on that ground. Now he moves on now. Yea, and what are you, you to me, O Tyre and Sidon? Now Tyre and Sidon, they were of the Phoenicians on the northwest coast there from Jerusalem. What great uh, commercial center that time. What do you mean to me, says God, and all the remnant, all the regions of Philistia? That was the southwest, the southwest coast, Phoenicia, the northwest coast. Now God said, what do you mean to me? Here's what you've done. Will you render unto me a recompense? In other words, will you charge me with having done something to you, and then you recompense me for that? That is, in other words, you'll take it out on me 
by taking it out on my people. You recompense me by taking it out on my people. Render me a recompense. And if you recompense me swiftly and uh, speed, uh, swiftly and speedily, will I return your re- recompense upon your own head? Now, if you're going to recompense me as uh, in uh, by persecuting my people, I'll turn that back upon you, because these are the neighboring nations here. Now, notice further, and I will recompense your return your recompense upon your own head. For as much as you have taken my silver, my gold, and carried into your temples my goodly precious things, and have sold the children of Judah and the children of Jerusalem unto the sons of the Grecians, that you may remove them far from their border, behold, I will stir them up out of the place whither you have sold them, and will return your recompense upon your own Ahead, and I will sell your sons, your daughters, into the hand of the children of Judah, and they shall sell them uh, to the men of Sheba, to a nation far off. For Jehovah has spoken it. Now keep in mind, all right. <coughs> now when does this take place? When did God ever sell the people of Sheba into the hands of the Jews? He never did. Never did. And. Uh, when he didn't do it and he can't do it in the future physically because the Jews, that Jewish nation or that which was a nation then is now gone. Well, I know a little nation over in Israel. I know that. That's not the one that was destroyed. The Jews are. And the Christians can't do it morally. Right? So the point, the difficulty of this passage is, and it is a difficult one, is now when and how is this fulfilled? Right? Now, if we keep in mind that we're dealing here with the period of the Holy Spirit, the dispensation of the Holy Spirit, which is from Pentecost to the end of time, which is now, since he's dealing with that, and he says that he is, and he's dealing with a period when he's going to bring back the captivity of these people, restore them unto him, he's not going to do that physically. He's going to do that spiritually. So I think we have to conclude this now, since this is in the time of the Holy Spirit, he's talking about a spiritual remnant. Even now, there's a remnant according to the election of grace. Here, the grace of God demonstrated in the death of Christ. The grace of God manifested in the coming of the Holy Spirit. The grace of God demonstrated in the whole scheme of redemption. So here you have the remnant of grace. You have it in the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. So it's bound to be talking about a spiritual thing. That is, that those that will be taken captive by Israel here will be the spiritual winning of them into Christ and into the kingdom of Christ and away from what they're in. So I see in this a prophecy of what God will be doing during the days of the Holy Spirit during the days of His grace, the restoration by grace, and under the rule of Jesus Christ, according to Isaiah 11. So I put these together with what took place in the New Testament, what is said there, the very definite I have here, that He's not talking about a, a physical or political captivity, but He's talking about bringing them back from the captivity of sin, and now then, 
bring them into captivity to Jesus Christ. And Paul says that in, uh, in uh, 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, verses five, uh, 3 to 5 there. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, but the weapon, weapons of our warfare are mighty before God to the casting down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and bring every thought into obedience under the captivity of Christ. So it is really, as I said some time ago in one of my sermons, not very long ago, that here is, uh, we, we are bond servants. As six Sundays ago from Philippians 2, 1 and 2, you remember? One, verse 1 and 2 of chapter 1. When I talked about Christians as bond servants, but saints. We are, we are bond servants of Christ. Paul said, I'm a bond servant of Christ, and we are now his bond servants also. So we are, we are bond servants of Christ, but it's a bond servant of liberty and of freedom in Christ, in liberty and freedom from the bondage of sin. Whosoever committed sin, Jesus said, the bond servant of sin, but if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. So we're free from the bondage of sin, but we're, we're now bought ourselves, we've been bought by Jesus Christ, so we're now bond servants of Christ. But it's a glorious spiritual bondage uh, there unto Him. So, the captivity, I think, here then in this is going to be that when they're brought back from that bondage to sin and captivity to people brought back under God in Christ, there they rule together with Him. For we reign upon the earth. Romans 5 and 17, they reign upon the earth. They reign, or rather, they reign in life. And uh, Revelation 5 and 10, they reign upon the earth. <coughs> so we reign upon the earth reign in life together with Christ. We are His bond servants, but we are free from the bondage of sin. So this is the, this is the, this is the thing that God's working toward. He's not going to bring back the Jews to Jerusalem and give back their old rule and all that. That's behind. And what God's doing now is bringing people into a spiritual kingdom, a spiritual relationship with Him. And that's what the prophets are foretelling there. The Jew didn't understand that. If we didn't understand his prophet, Jesus said that, uh, Paul did, right? They don't know their prophets. They knew their prophets. They would have understood the Christ fulfilled, but they didn't understand them. That's why I think we need to understand them. But I think there are a lot of folks today that don't understand that. They're still looking for a political kingdom in Jerusalem when God says, no, that's gone. That's gone forever. Well, now move on from that. Now he said, proclaim you among the nations. Prepare war. Stir up the mighty, or the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I'm strong. All right, now what does that mean? Well, now go back to Isaiah 2, verses 2 and 3. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of Jehovah's house shall be established on the top of the mountains, exalted above the hills. All nations shall flow unto it. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and the uh, uh, spear and, and the pruning hooks. Now that's, that's those that come unto God's kingdom. Now when we come unto it's not a political kingdom. It's not a kingdom that is, ex, is established, extended, or defended by the sword. For these nations that come under this spiritual Jerusalem, they beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Now in this war that, that uh, Joel is talking about, they're going to beat their plows now into swords and their, and their pruning hooks into spears. Well, now, one is a spiritual conflict in Isaiah, 
this is going to be the destruction of the nations by their own instrumentality in, in, uh, in Joel here altogether different here so beat your plowshares into swords now I'd, I'd have marked by that I don't have because nowhere it is but you mark if you don't think you remember Isaiah 2, 2 to 4 which is a contrast to this those are the nations that come up to spiritual design in Isaiah these are the nations that don't give heed unto it but oppress the kingdom of God these God's going to destroy among themselves Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth right, now beat your plowshares into swords your pruning hooks into spears and let the weak say I'm strong in the excitement of war the weak man says I'm strong I can go out there and I can go, we can go whip them yeah alright so this is the thought there the weak man said I'm strong because he's going to get into a physical battle you know sir a physical warfare now haste ye and come all ye nations round about and gather yourselves together thither cause thy mighty ones to come down O Jehovah now as you're talking about the mighty ones of earth who come down from the mountains and the hills into the valley of Jehoshaphat and uh, I'll talk about that valley in just a minute or he's talking about the mighty ones of heaven uh, here who are going to direct all this I think he's talking about the mighty ones of war but come down bring them together here now this valley of Jehoshaphat was a, is a valley some think it's located just south east of Jerusalem others think it's the northern part of the brook Kidron to the, no, to the uh, northeast of Jerusalem I think it's northeast I think that's been more or less established that the valley of Jehoshaphat is located there but this is not a literal valley this, the valley it means Jehovah judges to bring them down into the valley of Jehovah's judgment I think you had that same idea back in Isaiah that second chapter there when he talks about there the uh, uh, and Jehovah shall judge between the nations you remember that statement in Isaiah 2 and just look at it there uh, the mountains of Jehovah uh, and uh, Jehovah from, and, uh, and he Jehovah verse 4 will judge between the nations and will decide concerning many peoples and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks nations shall not lift up sword against nation and that's those that come up you see unto Jerusalem but God's going to judge between the nations now then when God judges here Jehovah Je- Je- Jehoshaphat is the valley of Jehovah judgment so he's the one that judges the time for the destruction of a nation Paul said that in, in Acts 17 in verse about 26 or 7 there and when he said he made of one every nation to dwell on all the face of the earth having determined their appointed seasons and the bounds of the habitation he's talking about the people of the nations of earth there or every nation uh, is of one man Adam but God determines the boundary and the time that a nation is going to, to which it will extend how long it will last well, that's what Isaiah said that's what Joel said here that's what we had to have in other passages we're going to look at one or two of them in a moment and so God now judges through Jesus Christ he rules the nation with a rod of iron he treads the winepress of the wrath of God the Almighty alright move on now alright so now let him come down here haste ye and come all ye nation round about gather yourselves together come down let the nation bestir themselves and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat for there will I sit to judge 
all the nations round about. Now here's a figure. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come tread ye, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Right? Now there are two pictures. Here one picture is gathering the, the grain, the harvest here, time of harvest. The other is gathering the vines and cast, uh, gather the grapes and put them in the wine vat, tread the wine vat of the wrath of God. Now let me notice two passages in the Bible that deal with that. Turn with me to Isaiah, the 60, uh, Isaiah the 63rd chapter here. Just a second now. Do 63, yeah, I think 63. Oh yeah, 63, right. All right, now let's notice here. Who is this, verse 1, I'll read a few verses. Chapter 63 of Isaiah. Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Bozrah? This that is glorious in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. That's now I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. When the prophet asks, who is this in his vision? God answers, I, mighty to save. Now the prophet raised the question, Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like them that treadeth in the wine bath? God's answer, I have trodden the wine press alone, now the peoples, there was no man with me. Yea, I trod them in mine anger, and trampled them in my wrath, and the lifeblood is sprinkled from my garments, and I have stained all my raiment. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and the year of my redeemers come. Alright? So now there's a picture of God, just in a vision. His garments sprinkled with blood, and that's from treading the wine press when you're treading, the bursting grapes, the wine, the juice splashes up on the garments there. God said, I've been uh, treading the wine press of the wrath of God. Now there are two things reaping here in Joel, and treading the wine press. Right, now turn with me to Revelation, the 14th chapter. No, I don't have it in this book. This, this is about worn out. Uh, I turn to the 14th chapter of Revelation now. Notice here this picture of the same two things of the judgment of... Uh, I turn to the 14th chapter and here's the judgment of these uh, people in, in the Revelation here that he sees. I 14 chapter and no drop down to verse 13 uh, 14 uh, and I saw and behold a white cloud and on the cloud I saw one sitting like unto a son of man having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle and another angel came out from the temple crying with a great voice to him that sat on the cloud send forth thy sickle and reap for the hour to reap is come for the harvest of the earth is ripe and he that sitteth sat on the cloud, cast the sickle into the earth, and the earth was reaped. Now I know that's the reaping of the grain there. Now notice the next verse. And another angel came out from the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, he that had power over fire, and he called with a great voice to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Send forth thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for the grapes are fully ripe. And they, and they cast them in his sickle, the earth, and gathered the vintage of the earth. He cast it into the wine press, the great wine press of the wrath of God. The wine press was trodden without the city, 
that came out blood from the wine press even into the bodies of the horses as far as 1,600 furlongs. Right? Now that's, that's a vision giving you the idea of the extremity of this judgment. Right? Now, what, 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 God, what Isaiah and Joel talked about, Father Joel, you see a fulfillment of it here in the judgment of these nations by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now turn to the 19th chapter uh, of Revelation and notice what he says here uh, in verses uh, about verse 15 and out of his mouth proceeded the sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron that's the nations now and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of God the Almighty and on his head and on his th- I mean on his uh, hath on his garment and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords right so you uh, in this now you have in this uh, picture back here in, in the Old Testament Isaiah and Joel picture of God's wrath and you see in the New Testament here how this is being turned out by Jesus who is King of Kings and Lord of Lords so he, we, we can, when we put all this together we understand what Joel's talking about alright now, now let, me, let me get to one point here put you in the sickle for the harvest is ripe Come, tread ye the winepress, is full, if that's overflow, for the wickedness is great. So this is a picture now, as you gather the, gather the, the grain into the, into the granary, and the chaff you burn with fire, also you gather the grapes and put them in a wine vat, and as you, as you tread them, blood sprinkled upon the garments of Jehovah in the vision, in the picture, also in Revelation 19. His, his garments would sprinkled with blood. What? So it's a picture of God judging the nations as you put grapes in a wine vat and you tread them uh, and burst them and all of that. uh, It's a destruction of them. And so this is what Joel is talking about. And any question on that? I'm going to pause for a question because that's, unless you follow me carefully, you might have missed my point there. Any question? Well, all right. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Now, the valley of decision is the same as Jehovah Judges. With Jehoshaphat, because Jehovah Judges and Jehovah makes the decision. It's a valley of decision which God is judging the nations. For the day of Jehovah is near in the valley of decision. Now, that expression, the day of Jehovah, is always of a day of judgment against the wicked, but deliverance of the righteous. Now, I've said that so many times. I'm sure you've got it fixed in your mind. You see the day of the Lord, the King James, day of the Lord, day of Jehovah, that's always a day of judgment. Don't ever confuse the day of the Lord with the Lord's day. The Lord's day of Revelation 1 and 10 uh, is the first day of the week. The, the day of the Lord is a day of judgment. So here the day of the Lord, the valley of decision. The sun and the moon are darkened and the stars that draw their shining. Remember we had that back here uh, in the uh, in George about the what is that about uh, verse 10 in the second chapter the earth quake before them and the heavens tremble the sun and the moon are darkened and the stars withdraw their shining. That's always a mark of judgment. You have the same thing in Isaiah 9 uh, no Isaiah 13 9 to 11 where you see the same picture there 
of the sun and the moon being darkened. The earth shaking there. We have the same thing in Matthew 24 for a day of judgment. Now, none of these are pictures of the final judgment. That in Matthew is a description of, of, of the destruction of Jerusalem. The judgment of God against Jerusalem when it destroyed it by the Romans. It's a picture that Jesus, I mean, it's a description that Jesus used from Isaiah the 13th chapter, Joel the second chapter, Joel the third chapter, and also in uh, uh, Ezekiel and Jeremiah, they spoke also of the cloudy day. So the day of clouds over Isaiah 19 and 1. Behold, Jehovah cometh against Egypt, riding upon a swift cloud. What was that swift cloud? A cloud of judgment. So here then is a description of a day of judgment, the fierceness of it. Well, let me hasten on. I want to finish this. All right. So now he says here, and uh, their decision, is, and Jehovah will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth shall shake. But you have that in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, and other places. There, Amos. Talk about that later. But Jehovah will be a refuge unto his people and a stronghold to the children of Israel. So now then, he's going to be a stronghold to the one who take refuge in him. But he's going to be a terror to those who have rejected him in the day of judgment. And that day is coming. Coming on this nation, all others that reject God. So shall you know that I am Jehovah your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then shall Jerusalem be holy, and there shall no strangers pass through her anymore. Now spiritual Jerusalem. Now spiritual Jerusalem is holy. Our mother from above, Paul said in Galatians 4. Right? Now then, Strangers won't pass through it. Now, not like they did now. They passed through a physical Jerusalem time after time when they took it. But the spiritual Jerusalem will never be destroyed. Now we're going to deal with that in Zechariah, the 14th chapter. When we come to that 14th chapter of Zechariah, we'll come back to this and show that both of them are talking about the same thing, destruction of these nations. Well, we'll move on then. And then, uh, behold, and it shall come to pass in that day. Now always know that in that day again. Now you ought to have it underscored in your Bible each time so you see notes it. Come to pass in that day, that day of these judgments, the day of the Holy Spirit, this present dispensation, the generation, in that day it shall come to pass that the mountains shall drop down sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the brooks of Judah shall flow with waters, and the fountain shall come forth from the house of Jehovah, and shall, shall water the valley of Shittim, which is the valley of Acacias, where the Jews, the Israel, spent their last day or two, last day before crossing over into Canaan, and back in the back in the uh, uh, Old Testament, back there when they entered the land, uh, Joshua, book of Joshua. All right now, notice that the books are full. Now we're going to look for something literal there. Why certainly not? What, what's he talking about? We're talking about something in this present, not a millennium after a while. In that day, in the day of the judging of the nations, in the day of the Holy Spirit, in the day of the present dispensation of, of the root of Jesse, who rules uh, in the day of the rule of Christ, the Holy Spirit, present dispensation, that's when this is going to take place. So what's he talking about? He's talking about the same thing Paul is, when in Ephesians 3 and verse 19, you may be filled unto all the fullness of God. All right? And so... Here we're filled in the fullness of God there. Colossians 2, verses 9 and 10, where he says that, 
take heed lest any man make spoil of the crystal lancer in vain deceit. After the tradition, I mean after the rudiments were and not after Christ, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, in whom you are made full, who is the head of all principality and power. Is there a single spiritual blessing lacking in Christ? In Ephesians 1 and 4, Paul says there, uh, verse 3 rather, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom dwelleth all, all the spiritual blessings in Christ. So all spiritual blessings are in Christ. And, and in Him we are made full. Well, that's what he's talking about here. Land flowing with milk and honey back yonder, God promised him. And we're promised in the New Testament here that here's the sweet wine and the milk and the clear water here. All the things that Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. He that eateth of me shall not hunger. In John, what was that, 7th chapter and verse 38, along there, maybe 8th chapter, 7th chapter, I believe it is, where he said, He that cometh unto me, from within him shall flow rivers of living water. And in the fourth chapter, he that drinketh the water I give him, he'll never thirst. So here, in Jesus Christ, we have all spiritual blessings. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is in Christ. God summed them up there. Some of all spiritual blessings in Christ. Now that's what he's talking about here. So you see, he's talking in this chapter about the Messianic dispensation, the Holy Spirit's dispensation, that's the same thing as I'm talking about. That dispensation, why God's going to provide every spiritual need and every spiritual blessing, and nobody's going to take our spiritual zone. Nobody's going to take it. Strangers are not going to go through it. Just like Isaiah said in Isaiah 35, verses 8 to 10 there, and there should be a way down a highway. It should be called the way of holiness. Wayfaring men, yea, fools shall not err therein. Our brethren used to quote that and say it'd be so simple a fool couldn't miss it. They're not talking about that. He said a fool's not going to make the mistake of getting in it. There aren't going to be any fools in it. There's going to be a wayfaring men. It's going to be for the redeemed. Yea, the redeemed shall walk therein, he said. So the way of holiness is a way for the redeemed. The wayfaring men, yea, fools are not going to make the mistake of getting into it. I'm not talking about how simple it is. That's a, I don't know whoever came up with that idea, but some old preacher did, and everybody else picked it up after that, never without going back and reading the passage. All you got to do is read the passage, and, see, and then go over to the 32nd chapter of Isaiah, and I read Isaiah's description of a fool, and, and the 14th Psalm in verse 1, the fool said in his heart, there is no God. The fool's not going to make the mistake of getting into it. Well, he says there's no God. He never get in that way. So, what we want to do is read the whole context as I've said so many times the whole Bible is a context of what we're trying to learn now let me hasten on now he says and this valley now here's the water that will flow out well now we had that description back in Ezekiel when we studied Ezekiel remember the 47th chapter of Ezekiel and out of, this, out of the throne here that flowed this little stream of water that grew bigger and bigger after a while you couldn't cross it flowing down here into the Dead Sea into this very area here that Joel is talking about both of them talking about the same thing. The valley of Jehovah and shall water the valley of Shittim. Egypt shall be a desolation and Edom shall be a desolate wilderness. Now these are symbolic of those nations that had opposed, uh, had uh, put, put uh, the Jews in bondage. Egypt did. And the other, Edom, wouldn't allow them to come through and was hated them all the time. We'll get to that in Malachi. For the violence done to the children of Judah because they had shed innocent blood and in their land. But Judah shall abide forever, and Jerusalem from generation to generation. Now that's the spiritual Israel, the spiritual Judah, the spiritual Jerusalem here. 
to generation, and I will cleanse their blood that I have not cleansed, for Jehovah dwelleth in Zion. So you're going to cleanse Zion. Zion now, our present Zion, Hebrews 12, you remember, the writer of Hebrews said, you've come unto Mount Zion. So we've come unto the Mount Zion, the city of the living God. And the innumerable host of angels. That's what we've come unto. So this Zion has been purged and purified, under which we've come, for God dwells in this Zion. All right, I've covered a lot of ground, too much for the hour, 45 minutes. We should have more time that it dropped more on, but you get the point. Now you go back and read it, and next Sunday morning, if you have a question over it, I'll be glad to discuss it. You restate it during the week. If you have a question, we'll talk about it. But I think when you look at the chapter, it's a judgment of the nations that reject God and turn away from Him and oppress His people. It's in the period of the rule, when the rule of Jesse rules, and that's now. So in the day of the dispensation of the Holy Spirit, who revealed and guided the apostle into truth, that's now. It's in this particular period. And it's now that we have these spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. The things that God provided there. Any question before I close? I'll take a minute on it. All right. Well, next Sunday morning, we'll take the little book of Jonah. Now, we start with Obadiah, about 845. Obadiah, about, oh, I don't know what, about 835, I'd say, maybe. 35 or 40 of them, about the same period. Now we'll go to Jonah, 780 B.C. He's down into the next century, a few years, but I put him in the cast with these, these same three because of certain, well, the first two because I don't know where else to put them, except early, and then Jonah because we know about when he walked. So Obadiah, Joel, and Jonah, they are our first three, then we'll go from there on the next three in the next century. All right, well, class is excused. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.